Welcome back to Ball With Y'all. You know, the last time we talked, I said that we would not have another show before the national championship game. I sat there and said, you know, whatever happens, whether it's Cincinnati, Michigan, Alabama, Georgia, we will not have another show until mid-January, until after the national championship game. We would talk about the bowl games and the transfer portal, all of that news, all of the early national signing day news and so on, which we will discuss in just a few days on January 19th, our first episode for season two. But I sat there and I watched all these games on January 1st. I watched Ohio State play against Utah. I watched Ole Miss minus Matt Corral play against Baylor. I watched Kentucky play against Iowa and so on. And I sat there having watched Alabama relatively thrash Cincinnati and Georgia give Michigan all they wanted and more. And I was like, how could we, an SEC-centric show, a show that talks about SEC football almost all the time, how could we not talk about the national championship game and preview the national championship game. So here we are, and we're going to do that right now. So glad to have you here for, I would say it's kind of like a bonus episode for season one. We will have our season two premiere in just a few, I guess about 10 days or so. Uh, Shoot for a few short days. Really excited to have that. Really excited to go into some really exciting things in the new season. We have a lot of new elements, as you can see right now. This is one of them. We're going to have a video feed for season two, a new song. You heard that as well. A number of other things we'll be introducing here in the coming weeks. So I hope you are excited about that just as much as I am. Now, the national championship game. We know Alabama, number one seed. Georgia, number three seed. Alabama, they are coming into this with that underdog card once again. Vegas has them as a three-point dog in this one. I didn't set the line, so I can't defend it. But, you know, you, you don't want to give Nick Saban and that Alabama team that much rat poison going into this game. And, of course, Georgia comes into this game with a lot of a lot of motivation themselves. They haven't beaten Alabama since 2007 when Matt Stafford was their quarterback, probably the best quarterback they've ever had. They required that to beat Alabama, to beat Nick Saban in his first year, mind you, in Tuscaloosa 26-23. Ever since, this Georgia team has not beaten Alabama. So that is a monkey that's been on their back for quite some time. And we know there's a great deal of motivation for Georgia as they come into this game, especially given the fact that come Monday night, uh, I guess it would be about 37 or so days removed from that game where everybody expected Georgia just to thrash Alabama and to knock them out of playoff contention. And here we are because they lost that game. We are in this position here today. Now there's a lot of storylines going into this game. There's a lot of expectations on both sides. And again, just like I did last time for Alabama, Georgia, I'll talk about how Georgia can win this game. I'll talk about how Alabama can win this game. And ultimately, I'll tell you what I expect to happen. And last time I was kind of right. I know I ended up picking Georgia, but I was kind of like, I hedged my bet a little bit. I won't do that today, I promise. But going into that game, I said exactly what Alabama needed to do. And they did exactly that, right? I said what Georgia needed to do, and they didn't really do that. And here we are. I think there's going to be a lot of parallels to that game in the SEC championship that we saw about five weeks ago. And I think we also learned a lot about these teams. And I think we can kind of go through that here today and identify some key points for both teams as we go into Monday night. So before we get into the game itself, I want to talk about a few things, right? Let's go on the Georgia side. This is a massive moment for the Bulldogs. Yes, we know they played for a national championship in 20. 17, I guess the 2017 season, 2018 national championship game. And the really cool thing about this Georgia team, of course, is they've fought through adversity. They haven't won a national championship since 1980. Let's let's talk about what, what the world was like in 1980. I have over here Ronald Reagan, 
He was the president the last time Georgia won the national championship. The Miracle on Ice, that happened at, at the Lake Placid Winter Olympics in 1980. The last time that Georgia won the national championship, the Miracle on Ice was just like a new phenomenon at that point in time. The Rubik's Cube. I hate Rubik's Cubes. Those, I guess they're puzzles. I, I, I have one somewhere in my house. And I probably used it for about five minutes when I was a kid. And then I gave up on it because those things are incredibly difficult. We just got my, my nephew one for, for Christmas and he enjoys those. And I don't really understand. Uh, but Rubik's Cubes were big in 1980. The song of the year was Sailing by Christopher Cross. I have no clue what that song is. I've never heard of Christopher Cross either. So uh, yeah, that shows you just how long ago it was since Georgia won the national championship. Although I do recognize Barbara Streisand. She had a song called Woman in Love. So take that at you may. Uh, John Lennon, he died apparently that year. I think he was a part of the Beatles. So I don't know how he died or, or what, what he died of, but he died that year. And then uh, we also had the first one gigabyte hard drive that was released in 1980 by IBM. Of course, now we've got, we've got terabytes and so on. I think I probably have in my room somewhere like a two terabyte hard drive, which uh, is so much storage, but that shows you where technology was back in 1980. Mount St. Helens, it erupted in May of 1980. And at the box office, we saw Star Wars Episode V, Empire Strikes Back. That was released that year, uh, $210 million in gross revenue across more than 1,200 theaters, right? Really impressive for Star Wars. Last thing here, CNN, the Central no, Cable News Network, Central News Network, Cable, one of those two. Uh, was released in 1980. So a lot of the world was very different in 1980, the last time that Georgia won the national championship. And they could have done it in 2018, January 2018. You all know it. I don't have to tell you what happened, but I'm going to because it brings me a lot of joy. Of course, Georgia goes in there, 13-0 lead going into the halftime. I believe Kendrick Lamar was the halftime performer, goes out there, does his little song and dance thing. And then coming out of halftime, Saban decides to put this freshman who's probably got maybe 50 snaps lifetime in, the, in, his, in his collegiate career, goes out there, doesn't have a great start. I, he, I think he threw an interception pretty early on in, the, in that second half. Ended up bringing back the Crimson Tide, that fourth down conversion late in the game to score a touchdown where I think he was throwing it to Najee Harris and actually it just ended up in the hands of Calvin Ridley or vice versa. Goes into overtime. We all know what happens next. Devontae to uh, second and 26. The rest is history. So a lot has been built into this moment. Georgia thought they could do it last year. They didn't. Georgia still thinks that they could do it this year. And understandably so. This is probably their best opportunity in quite some time. I would say maybe the 2012 season where they were playing for the SEC championship game. And uh, whoever would have won that game would have played Notre Dame in the national championship game come January 6th or so, January 7th, somewhere in that neighborhood. They've had opportunities, and this could be their best opportunity. And to that point, I would say if Georgia doesn't get it done this year, when will they get it done? You know, they've had so many opportunities, and they just can't get over the hump. And especially when you have a guy like Kirby Smart as your head coach, you cannot forego these opportunities. And if I'm a Georgia fan, I don't really want to wait until Nick Saban retires. So at some point, you got to beat this guy. And this might be your best opportunity to do exactly that. So let's get into what's happening on the Alabama side. I don't know if you've been familiar with this. There's this movement on social media right now. It's, it's called the Crimson Crane movement. 
So of course you're familiar the the, the touchdown celebration that John Mechie and Jameson Williams and and some other folks on the Crimson Tide have introduced this year where they do the whole the whole crane thing. You can't see my legs, but I'm you know, I got my leg lifted up. Uh, where from Karate Kid where where he does the the that thing. Yeah. Um, hopefully you're on YouTube watching this because if you're not, then this wouldn't make any sense at all. So uh, that's a great plug. Please watch this on YouTube if you have the chance. You know, also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and so on. But if you want the video feed, if you want the full effect, join us on YouTube. I believe we're Ball with Y'all or Ball with Y'all Podcast, one of the two of those. We'll make sure to include the link in the description as well. But they do the Crimson Crane after they score a touchdown, right? And then when John Mechie went down with an injury in the Cincinnati game, uh, when the players scored, they did the Crimson Crane and then they held the, the eight fingers or four on four on both sides to uh, represent John Mechie. And so now, Apple just released this, this new update, right? iOS 15. And every single time you get a new update, you're like, okay, I guess I'll just, okay, I'll go ahead and update and see what happens. And as part of that update, there were some new emojis. And one of the new emojis was a karate, I'm going to screw up the word. I don't know what the word is, but it's like, it's like a, one of those, those karate jackets, the white ones, right? Where they, they put on the karate thing. Yeah. I should really look up that word. I'm going to do it right now. But anyway, so the karate jacket, right? So it's one of those things. And Alabama Twitter jumped all over it. And so what ends up happening is all of these Alabama fans out there are, are putting the karate jacket in their, in their, their Twitter name. And all of a sudden they're becoming what they're calling gump certified gump. Uh, what's the, what's the verified, right? So instead of having your little, little check mark next to your name, they, all these Alabama fans have the little karate gi. That's, I knew that was the word karate gi next to their name. And then the Alabama movement is like, okay, well, if, if they have a gi in their in their in their Twitter handle, uh, make sure you follow them. We're gonna start this train of Alabama fans following each other, following each other, and so on, right? And all of a sudden, these Alabama fans across Twitter, they're taking over Twitter just because of this emoji. And it is so incredible. It speaks to the to the power of sports and the power of social media. And it just speaks to how how massive this game is because the fans are behind it on both sides. They're feeling it. They're ready to go. I'm ready to go. So let's talk about this game. Let's talk about what you can expect for both teams. Of course, we saw Georgia. They had a massive game against Michigan. I believe the final score was 34 to 11. And from the start, you know, you could see that Georgia was ready to play that game. They were motivated to play that game. Honestly, I think that game was one play away from being a different game. Early on, you know, Georgia gets that touchdown. Michigan gets the ball. They're going down the field pretty well. And they get stopped. It's fourth and four, so they decide to go for it. It's one of those situations where it's it's too close to punt, too far away to kick a field goal, so they go for it, get stopped. Five plays later, Georgia scores another touchdown, ends up going up 14-0, and they never looked back. I think Michigan if, – if Michigan converts on that one play early on, I think it's an entirely different game. But it speaks to the value of momentum, especially when you don't have a quarterback like Bryce Young. Michigan did not have that opportunity. They did not have the – the talent at that position to come back and to really give Georgia a run for their money on the Alabama side. They just ran it down Cincinnati's throat. They identified that, you know, that defensive back Kobe Bryant or Kobe Bryant, Kobe Bryant, he's wearing number eight for Kobe. And then uh, Ahmad Garner or whatever his name was uh, on the other side, the two defensive backs, they identified, you know what, they're going to, they're going to give us a lot of problems. We're not going to even try to throw at them. Right. Jamison Williams didn't really have a great game because they were, they had so many great defensive backs and the Alabama's like, you know, we're not going to try. We don't even have to worry about it. They were, in my opinion, they were more afraid of Cincinnati's defensive backs than they were Georgia's defensive backs when they played in the SEC championship game. Understandably so, because Cincinnati's past defense has been incredible this year, and Georgia's has been pretty bad, if you think about it, 
in the situations where they've had to face a strong passing attack. When Hendon Hooker played against them, he did pretty well for Tennessee. We already know what Bryce Young did. And honestly, if things had not gotten off the rails in the Florida game, I think Florida probably could have done some great things in the passing game as well. So it speaks to what we're seeing right now. Alabama did not have to show a whole lot in that game against Cincinnati. They just ran the ball and said, we're just going to try to get out of this game and and play as injury-free as possible, which there are some other headlines there as well we'll get into. On the Georgia side, you could tell they are motivated. You could tell they're also playing for their playoff lives. Obviously, you're always playing for your playoff lives. But in that situation, they couldn't play around anymore like they did in the first round, our first game against Alabama, where I think they probably took it a little bit less seriously. They knew they were still going to get in the playoff. So I think they kind of took their foot off the gas in the first game, but they were full speed ahead against Michigan down in Miami on New Year's Eve. So how does Georgia win this game, right? We'll start with Georgia and then we'll go to Alabama and then I'll tell you exactly what I think will happen. Georgia defensively, they have to make Bryce Young uncomfortable, right? And they have to get home in that process as well. You heard it on the broadcast for uh, for the, the Cotton Bowl where they, they talked about how Cincinnati was making Bryce Young uncomfortable. You, he looked uncomfortable. He looked frazzled, right? And yeah, he did look pretty frazzled. He, did look, he looked bothered at times. And you have to make sure he not only he's frazzled, but you have to get home. You have to sack him. There's only been one game this year where Georgia did not record a single sack. That was the SEC championship game on December 4th. Georgia did not record a single sack in that game. And that speaks to what happened. There was never a point where they got to Bryce Young, put Alabama behind the change, put Alabama, Alabama behind the sticks, and, and really forced them into a situation where they wanted to do, where they had to do something they didn't want to do. And so, what you have to do here, you have to get him on the ground. You have to force sacks. You have to force incomplete passes because of the pressure, and you have to make him uncomfortable. You also have to mix up your coverage and really give Bryce a different looks to to account for and so on. Whether that's bringing extra guys in the blitz dropping out some defensive linemen to cover in, in pass coverage, or maybe your linebackers, you know, they, they have a stunt blitz, whatever the case may be. You saw Auburn do this well. You saw Cincinnati do this well as well. And you saw LSU kind of do it as well. So those three teams, all of, I mean, Cincinnati of, of the three gave them less of a game. Auburn and LSU, of course, we're familiar, gave Alabama all they wanted and more. So if you want to make this game difficult for Alabama's offense, you have to give them different looks. And then, of course, the last thing for Georgia's defense, you have to minimize Jamison Williams' threat, particularly in the open field, the big play threat. In game one, Georgia, they had four busted assignments that went for 20 yards or more. And those were the only four busted assignments they allowed all year. So in game one, they were blowing, they were blowing coverage. And when you can't afford to do you, you can't do it. That's, that's the problem. You can't afford to do it when it's Jamison Williams, when he's, when he's going to blaze by you if you just blow a single assignment. If it's Slade Bolden, he'll hurt you. You'll get, you'll get 25 yards or so on, but you'll, you'll get him down. He'll, he'll be fine. Jamison Williams or like a Jalen Waddle kind of guy, or a, I mean, of course now he's, he's in jail, but Henry Ruggs, those kind of folks, you know, they're going to blaze by you. And Jamison Williams, if he's given the time, if he's given the space, he will do the same. He will blaze by you. So if you're Georgia, you have to limit his big play threat. And then as far as the offensive side of the ball for Georgia, they cannot rely on Stetson Bennett. You cannot put yourself in a situation where he has to win you the game. Yeah, he can have a good game, a decent game, but you can't 
be in a situation where he has to go out there and throw 40 passes to win you a game. Honestly, in my opinion, if he keeps his pass attempts below 30, he'll be all right, right? I think in the, in the Michigan game, he had somewhere in the 20-something range. In an ideal world, they're running the ball. They're throwing it when necessary, but they're always ahead of the sticks. They're always in favorable situations where he's not really forced to do too much from a passing perspective. And they have to be able to also, when it comes to the passing game, use running backs in the passing game. I've thought about before, was it James Cook and some other folks where this has hurt Alabama in the past, particularly in the 2020 game in the regular season, where they are putting the running backs on wheel routes or whatever else, and it's forcing the linebackers to cover in the open field. And it's difficult for a guy like Christian Harris for Alabama or for Will Anderson or whoever else to cover in the open field. So if you want to really stretch Alabama's defense, you have to use your running backs in the passing game. On top of that, Brock Bowers, we saw him hurt Alabama pretty extensively in the first matchup in the SEC championship game, tight end for Georgia. He, you have to use him early and off, right? He has done incredible things for that team this year, and he's only a freshman. He is a matchup nightmare against a linebacker or, or a free safety or a defensive back, whoever, he's going to give whoever a problem. And unless you're going to double him, which then at that point, somebody else is open. So you have to use Brock Bowers early and often. And on top of that, George Pickens, you know, of course, he was out for most of the year. He tore his ACL, I believe, in spring practice. He's back now. He didn't do too much in the SEC championship game. He looked pretty physical in the game against Michigan only a few days ago. But you're going to need a lot more from him if you really want to stretch Alabama's defense. Yes, Alabama's defensive backs, they're good, right? Jaquincy McKintry, great. Uh, the safeties, Jordan Battle and, and DeMarco Helms, they're great. They're, they're incredible players. But there's, you know, it's one of those situations where they play press coverage, and if you, you need a guy who could beat the other guy, right? I think of guys like uh, for, for Auburn, there was a guy, was it, uh, I'm forgetting the names, but historically, what you need to do if you want to beat Alabama, you have to have a guy who will go up and get the ball, right? A Jabbar Chase for LSU in 2019, or, or um, uh, Je Jordan Jefferson, Justin Jefferson, the guy who's playing for the Vikings right now. These bigger guys who can go out there and beat these defensive backs one-on-one, -on -one, right? And there's not a whole lot of space to throw that ball, so it goes back to Stetson Bennett having to place the ball in the right position and not making him do it too often either. Now, as far as Alabama, offensively, they have to find success with a healthy Brian Robinson Jr., right? In the first game, he did well running the ball for Alabama, but he was, he was a little hampered by, I believe, a hamstring injury or something along those lines. So he's got to do what he basically, I mean, I, he doesn't need to replicate what he did against Cincinnati. That was an all-time performance, a bowl record performance for the Crimson Tide when it comes to the running game. But he needs to do well, right? I would say maybe maybe 60 yards, 70 yards for Brian Robinson will be a massive win in this game for Alabama. If you can set up the run game, make Georgia think about the run game, and then all of a sudden hit a play-action pass over the top with Jamison Williams or whoever else, Ja'Cory Brooks, that would be a massive success for the Crimson Tide. The offensive line, a massive point for the Alabama Crimson Tide as well. First off, will they be at full strength, right? We saw Emil Ekior go out, I believe, with a shoulder injury. Uh, late in the game, Chris Owens, I believe he's the right guard or the right tackle, he went out with an injury as well. And there really hasn't been a lot that we've heard about on that front at this point in time. So if Ekior can't go, and if, if Chris Owens can't go, who fills in those spots? And how well can they protect Bryce Young? Now, whether they're at full strength or not, they have to keep Bryce upright. You know, I said this earlier when I was talking about how Georgia wins this game 
they have to get Bryce on the ground. It's not realistic for Alabama to say, we're not going to allow a single sack again. They're probably going to sack Bryce Young at least once in this game. But if you're, if you're the offensive line, you have to minimize Georgia's uh, impact when it comes to that defensive line coming after your quarterback. You have to keep him upright to ensure success in this game. You also need to scheme Jamison Williams into open space, right? They did this pretty well in the first game. Cincinnati locked it down about a week ago. Jamison Williams didn't have a whole lot of room, right? And Georgia's going to make Jamison Williams a focal point, especially without uh, John Mechie. So you have to scheme Jamison Williams into space. You have to design plays. Bill O'Brien's probably doing it right now, designing plays to make sure that Jamison Williams has the time and the space to make big plays on Monday. On top of that, they need complimentary performances from Slade Bolton and Ja'Cory Brooks and Cameron Latu and Jaleel Billingsley, all those folks, the other freshman receivers as well, I believe JoJo Earl and so on. They need someone to fill the gap of John Mechie. He tore his ACL in the first game against Georgia. He's an all-time player for the Crimson Tide. He's not great, but he's good. He's serviceable. He's great in the red zone. And now they don't have him. Now he's on the sideline, right? And still, he's a great, he's a great source of leadership and so on, but you don't have him on the field. And he is a massive piece for that Crimson Tide throughout the year. He had been a massive piece for them. So who's going to fill that gap? In game one, it was a little bit of, of, of Slade Bowen and a little bit of, of Cameron Latu. And it really just comes down to who will Bryce Young trust most if he can't get the ball to, jo- to um, Jamison Williams in the short field. Jamison Williams does better when he's got a lot of room to run. But if it's you know a situation where you need five yards and you can't go to John Mechie, who are you going to go to? My opinion, probably Slade Bolden or maybe even a Cameron Latu. But who is it going to be? In the Auburn game, late in the game, it was Julio Billingsley, someone that we hadn't really seen do a whole lot throughout the season. So that will be an interesting thing for the Alabama offense. Who do you use to fill the, the gap of John Mechie? Because you could afford to kind of dance around it against Cincinnati. You didn't really do a whole lot there because you didn't have to. But in this game, you have to stretch the field and you have to do what you can to really find the gaps in the Georgia defense and also fill that gap of losing John Mechie. Defensively, the front seven for the Crimson Tide, they have to have continued success against the Georgia run game. We saw them do pretty well in the first game. We saw them really bottle it up against Cincinnati as well. You look at all the strong running teams that they played this year. Florida really tore them up, but they still beat them, right, which is great. Uh, Ole Miss shut it down pretty easily. Arkansas shut it down pretty easily. Alabama has a great front seven, and they've done well this year when it comes to stopping the run games. They have to continue to do that. As far as Dallas Turner, DJ Dale, Will Anderson, and so on, they have to get to Stetson Bennett, and they have to make him uncomfortable and force him into mistakes, right? Stetson Bennett, he is not exactly the most wise quarterback. Obviously, he, he was a walk-on for a reason, right? He's not, he's not the smartest guy out there when it comes to being on the football field. So he can make mistakes. He, he did it in the Michigan game, too. He made some mistakes that Georgia just didn't take advantage of, or Georgia, Michigan just didn't take advantage of. And in fact, in the SEC championship game, I know Alabama had two interceptions and they had they forced a, a, a turnover downs early in the third quarter as well, but they probably could have had more interceptions and they just didn't take advantage of them. You have to force him into mistakes and you also have to minimize his, his ability to scramble. You have to contain him in that pocket. You cannot allow him to, to scramble out and get six yards and another first down or whatever else. That's the thing about Stetson Bennett. He's not a great thrower, right? He's not a great decision maker but he's great at just doing just enough to keep the chains moving. He's a great, he's very mobile, right? He's kind of deceptively mobile in some ways. You have to minimize that if you're the Crimson Tide. 
And like I said, you have to force him into mistakes. You don't have to force him into mistakes every drive, right? But Nick Saban did a great job in game one uh, a few weeks ago. And then also last year, a great job where Stetson started off strong in the 2020 game. And then as the game kind of draw drew on, things got a little bit tighter for Stetson. And Saban identified some areas where he could kind of catch him, you know? And he did that just as well in five or about five weeks ago as well. Look at uh, Jordan Battle with that interception to return for a touchdown in that game. So in my opinion, the winning team will do three things, right? First off, they're going to convert in the red zone. Neither team this year has done very well at all in the red zone. Alabama has not been great in the red zone. Georgia has not been great in the red zone. It's kind of surprising about Georgia because they're a great run team. You would think that they would do well in the red zone, but they haven't really done all that well when it comes to getting that close to scoring and not cashing in. And if you don't convert in the red zone, you got to make your kicks, right? Georgia's kicking game has not been great this year. Alabama's kicking game has been, eh, it's, it hasn't really been that great either. There have been moments where Will Reichard, who's been a great kicker for the Crimson Tide the last two years, has looked very human. He looked very human in the, in the Cincinnati game. I watched that game wondering who he was, right? And I know there's issues with, with the holder, right? Uh, James Burnup is the holder now. At one point in time, it was Bear Bryant's great-grandson, uh, Paul Tyson. He got benched because of the Auburn the whole situation in the Auburn game where he screwed it up. So whatever the case may be, you got to make your kicks if you're not going to convert into touchdown scoring plays. And lastly, you got to force the other team to play your game. We know Georgia wants to grind the game away. They want to run the ball and they want to play great defense. They probably wouldn't be opposed to punting. They would think, honestly, a punting drive, a drive where you end up punting, is probably a good drive if you're, a Georgia, if you're playing the game like Georgia wants you to play the game. Whereas Alabama wants to go. They want to score. They want to make this a high-scoring affair. They want to put Georgia in a position where they have to put up 30 points, 40 points. And that's exactly what they did on December 4th. That's exactly what they did a year ago when the final score was also 41-24. Alabama wants to make this a shootout by all counts. So what will happen, right? I think Georgia will play better defensively. I think that they learned a lot since December 4th. I think they've been watching film. I think they know some of Bryce's tendencies. I think they know that he doesn't do all that well against cover one defense, right? There's some other things out there where his percentage drops about 30 percentage points if he's pressured, understandably so. I think they know these things, and I think that they will still do enough to make this a really interesting game. But I think Bryce will still have a big game. And why is that? Well, either way you slice it, you're going to need Bryce, right? If Alabama wins, I don't think it's going to be all that close. I think if Georgia wins, it'll be, it would be close, but I don't really think if Alabama wins, it'll be close. I think you look at, historically speaking, none of the games where Alabama really, you know, won you, under this offense, was it significantly close? The only one, again, was the national championship game in 2017, 2018, but Jalen Hurts is not the quarterback that Bryce Young is, right? Tua, at that point in time, wasn't the quarterback that Bryce Young is right now. So if Alabama wins, it'll be a high-scoring game, and that involves a lot of Bryce Young, I imagine, right? And if Alabama's trailing at any point, you know that Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban are saying, okay, Bryce, go ahead, get us back in this game, which involves a lot of Bryce as well. So I think I saw a, a prop out there saying over under 313 and a half passing yards. I would definitely go the over on that. The other thing is the first quarter, it will matter, but I'm not really sure how much in this game it will matter. Because, you know, you look at the Georgia-Michigan game, like I said, that play, uh, early on in the game, I feel like that kind of decided the game. If Michigan had converted, I think it would have been a different game. But in the last four times Alabama's played Georgia, right, the last 240 minutes of football, 
Georgia has led for 71% of those minutes. 71% of the last four games, Georgia has led against Alabama. And they've lost all four. They've blown leads in all four games. So you would think an early start, a, a good start, getting ahead early would matter. But I don't know if it's going to matter in this game. But I do think that momentum will be huge, particularly if Alabama gets an early lead. If Alabama gets an early lead, I don't think that Georgia has enough to come back. So if you're Georgia, don't get comfortable if you're up 10 to 0. We've seen it before. Don't be comfortable if you're up 13 to 0 going to halftime. I wouldn't really be comfortable if I'm a Georgia fan until the clock gets down to zero in the fourth quarter, and I still have the lead, because that's just how quickly this Alabama team can flip the switch. We saw in the Iron Bowl, Alabama was down a minute and a half to go. All hope looked lost. Alabama's offense looked looked like a deer in headlights, and then all of a sudden, Bryce Young had the performance of his lifetime to get himself a Heisman and win that game. So if you're Georgia, you have to be consistent to win this game. You have to be you have to be prepared that Alabama's going to throw everything that they can at you from an offensive standpoint to try to win this game. And then it comes down to what are you going to do to try to minimize that impact? So like I said, the spread right now is around three points in favor of Georgia. The over-under is sitting at 52 and a half. When you have two great teams, the one with the Heisman quarterback tends to be the better bet. Now, I know last time I said, I said Bryce and the Crimson Tide would lose. And I said they would still make the playoff. I said they would lose to Georgia. But I said that they could still win. And I said exactly how that would happen, right? And that's pretty much what happened. They did exactly what we all kind of thought they would do if they were going to win that game. And that's what they did, right? I just laid out how both teams can win this game. Georgia, play great defense, minimize Stetson's impact on the game. Minimize what he has to do from an offensive standpoint. Alabama, just go out there and play like you've played for the last two or three games, right? Not really the third game because that Auburn game wasn't that great. But from an offensive standpoint, go out there and play like you did against Arkansas. Play like you did against Texas A&M. Play like you did against Georgia, where you put up a lot of points. Against Miami, where you put up a lot of points. You have to be impressive offensively and do do just enough defensively. You're not going to, you don't have to really worry about Georgia's offense, but if Georgia does enough offensively and stops you defensively, the game's over. So you have to do enough to keep Stetson Bennett uncomfortable and force him into mistakes. So all that said, I will take the Crimson Tide. I will take the Heisman, uh, Heisman Trophy quarterback. I will take Brian Robinson Jr. I will take Nick Saban. I will not bet against Nick Saban in a national championship game. I know he's lost a couple, but I'm not going to bet against him here. He's not playing Clemson. He's not playing Dallas Sweeney. So I'm not going to bet against him. I don't think he's lost a national championship game against a team not named Clemson. So I'll take him here. I'll take the Crimson Tide. 38 to 20 over the Bulldogs. I'll say the Georgia curse continues and they once again go into the offseason wondering when they win another national championship. So that ends it for our preview episode for the national championship game. Be sure to join us on January 19th for our season two premiere. Enjoy the national championship game. And thanks as always for allowing us to talk some ball with us.